Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 30 of the More Than Corporate podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than episodes that I've done in the past. I started this podcast back in August, and today is the 30th episode that's being released. That's just crazy to me. I started this podcast because I wanted to share some of my journey and the things that I've learned and also talk about success and comfort zones and failure and all of the amazing things that we need to go through in order to be the best version of ourselves. I also wanted to be able to share some amazing stories of people all around us that are just crushing it and living their best life. And with this being episode 30, we've had a lot of really awesome conversations with some really cool people. And I wanted to take some time to pick out a few of my favorite moments and share those with you. So in this episode, I'm going to highlight some of my favorite moments. It's going to piece together moments from full-length episodes that have already released at some point over the last few months. So if something piques your interest and it's an episode that you haven't yet listened to, you can go back and listen to that full-length episode from that person. So in this episode, we're going to hear from Corey Drumright, who is the co-owner of Tough Mudder Bootcamp Las Vegas. And he's going to talk about if he had a superpower, what that superpower would be, how he figured out that he had the gift of inspiration, and how he has used that to transform his life and the life of those around him in the fitness industry. We're also going to hear from LaVon Shields, who works in the accounting space, but does so much more than that. She really takes a completely unique approach to the way that she works with her clients and helps them take control of their entire business as a whole rather than just crunching numbers from an accounting side. And she's going to talk about the definitions of success, how those have changed throughout different society eras and what success means to her and her family. And then finally, we're going to hear from Tim Frame. Tim is a super inspiring individual and his story is so amazing. It actually took two episodes to be able to really showcase just the Cliff Notes version of his story. But Tim's going to talk about some of the medical concerns that he's had, everything from a brain-eating virus, losing his memories, having blood clots that almost killed him a second time, steroids that were used to save his life, then coming back and haunting him later as he found obstacle course racing and what that community has meant to him. Over the last 30 episodes, all of the interviews that I've done have been interviews that I've taken something inspirational from or I've learned something from. And so I wanted to highlight just a few of my favorites. However, there are so much more to each one of these episodes. So again, if you're interested in what you hear, go ahead and check out the full length episodes. And with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into Corey, LaVon, and Tim's story. The owner of the gym who was on that with us she pulled me aside and she's like, hey, you know, I love your spirit. And especially what you did in the middle of the night really exposed who you're true, who you truly are and what your nature is. Because at that time, there's no more faking it. Like right. you, you are who you really are at that time. And she goes, and that's exactly who you were. And you've got this great gift. I want you to, I want you to be a part of my team and share that with us. And that's how I started working in fitness. That's awesome. And I mean, anybody who has done any type of endurance, anything, I mean, endurance obstacle races are crazy. Um, You inspired me to do my first world's toughest mutter or my only world's toughest mutter to date. Um, But I can speak from experience in saying that you learn a lot, like a shit ton about yourself when you are down, it's, you know, midnight to three in the morning, you want to go to sleep, you know, you can't go to sleep and you got to keep pushing forward. Like you learn who you are in those moments. And so to be able to rally people together like that is pretty insane. 
So I'm going to um, kind of throw you out here for just a minute and tell everybody my favorite story of you with Tough Mudder as far as inspiration is concerned. And I hope you remember this because I'm going to let you take over if you do. But I ran my first Tough Mudder um, in October of 2016. And then we volunteered as a group the next day on Sunday. And I was, um, I told you I was going to come on Saturday, that I was going to come volunteer the next day, which was Sunday morning. And I was laying in bed and I couldn't move. Like this Tough Mudder was more physical activity than I had really ever done at a time. And I was sore and I wasn't really used to being sore. So I was picking up my phone to message you to tell you that I was not going to come. And you, I get this message from you that's like, I hope you're on your way. And I'm like, and I read it in your voice, like this motivational. I just wanted to like throw it against the wall. But we had this amazing day of volunteering with kids. And we had some really cool stories and experiences there. But at the end of the day, do you remember the girl that wouldn't jump <laughs> off a frequent flyer and the experience that happened with that? So yes, yeah, I do, yeah. I do. And uh, matter of fact, Sean Corvell, who those of those of the people, uh, the people inside of the, the Tough Mudder community um, know exactly who Sean is. Uh, he's the hype man that leads everyone out of the starting gate. He gets them all pumped up and goes. Um, and Sean is loved and revered by the entire Tough Mudder community. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to call him a friend at this point. And Sean takes every opportunity he can to remind me of that event. And it's only because he's reminded me enough times <laughs> that I that I actually remember that. So before you jump into it, I want to set the scene for people who have not done Tough Matters before. So um, Frequent Flyer was the finisher obstacle in 2016. So Tough Matter has a finisher obstacle every year, and that normally changes. So they normally have two finisher obstacles. One is electroshock therapy, which is like the rite of passage for any Tough Mudder person. Um, and then they have a Legionnaire finisher obstacle, which you can do if you've already done one Tough Mudder. So you've done electroshock therapy, you can do something else. Yeah, essentially, if you're tired of getting electrocuted, you don't have to do it anymore. You're like, <laughs> enough of this crap. Right? <laughs> Let's do so, something fun. So the frequent flyer was the Tough Mudder finisher obstacle in 2016, and it was... I would say about 35 feet high and with a 15 foot air mattress. So it was like a 20 foot drop with that. Is that yeah, about right? I think? Essentially like something that a stump, a stump person yeah. would jump into. So it's not something you're going to hurt yourself on. Like no. it's safe. However, like it's a, it's, it's a mind. Like you, you really, really question. And for me, who is terrified of heights, but less terrified than I used to be because of you. Um, I, um, like it, it was crazy. So basically you have about this 15 to 20 foot drop. Um, and then there's things that are hanging down that if you aren't afraid to jump, you're going to try and hit. So you jump out as far as you can. So we are down on the ground in Mudder Village listening to music pump and um, everybody who's finished the races and all the ex the spectators are just around watching everybody finish this race. And we see this girl on top of frequent flyer and she doesn't want to jump and she's up there for i think at the time that we saw her 25 or 30 minutes i think a little bit longer to honestly i think she'd been there a little bit longer and it um i'm, I'm sorry no no go ahead sean at that point because all the starting waves are completely done and sean had gone up there and he'd been talking with her um and trying to you know help motivate her to, to get her to jump off and all that stuff and he was completely exhausted. He's like, she's not going to do it. She's just not going to do it. Um, Clinton, who was the, the finish line MC, uh, had been trying to motivate her. And Clinton is just as awesome uh, as Sean is. Um, and those two are probably the best tandem duo in, in just about everything. 100%. Yeah, th those guys are the, are, are the absolute greatest. Um, I hadn't been down uh, in there. I what it, what it really happened is I was just finishing the race 
And I was like, I'm not doing the electric shop no more because <laughs> I'm an adult and I don't have to. <laughs> so, uh, and I was like, I want to go climb this, this really high structure and jump into this map. I'm so excited. I'm so looking forward to doing this. I love doing that kind of thing. And, um, so I get up there and I see Sean and go like, what's going on, man? And he's like, Oh, I'm just trying to help out this, this fellow mutter. And he's like, she's just scared to jump, but she won't do it. And this and I'm like, Oh, okay. I go, do you mind if I help out? And, uh, he's like, yeah, sure. I was like, all right, hold on a second. I'm going to jump off this thing first. Cause I want to finish. So I I go and I jump off and then I, I run right, right around and I climb back up the structure. So I'm going to interject right here because we, so I'm standing around with a group of people and at this point, everybody's cheering her on, but everybody's also starting to take bets on whether she's actually going to jump. Oh really? And I see you go back around. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you grabbed me and you were like, Amber, let's go. So, um, I, cause remember we, this was oh, my that's first right, time. That's right. That's off. right. So, um, I looked at the person next to me before you told me to come with you. And I was like, 100% she jumps like Corey is on her way up to talk to her. There is no way this woman doesn't jump right now. Yeah. So you and I go up, go ahead. Okay. So we, we get to the, the, the top of the structure and I think the one mistake, listen, I'm not a superhero. Okay. Um, I disagree. And, but and, you and, and I, I appreciate like, Oh, you hype me up and you build me up and everything. Um, one of the things I, I think, maybe my my superpower is or something I'm extraordinarily uh, good at is that I'm able to connect with people on a very emotional level and I'm able to do so because I, I put myself in, in their position and I, I think about it from their perspective on, on anything okay uh, I make it less about me and I make it more about them so when I got up when I climbed up there I just wanted to first I understood that she was terrified. She, she was embarrassed. She'd been up there a long time, but she also, because she'd been up there a long time, she wanted to finish. And yeah. she was just looking for the right words to help get her there. And everyone who had tried tirelessly before me just hadn't found the right words yet. And so I wanted to first start off just by reassuring this girl, like, hey, I, let, let, let's just calm down for a second, okay? And we're, we're going to get it out of your head. Let me, let me just get to know you for, for a quick minute. Did you have a great time today? Didn't you have fun, blah, blah, blah? Do you know how long, this, this, uh, how long did it take you to do these other obstacles? Like one minute, you know, 30 seconds, uh, two minutes, or something along those lines, right? Yeah, guess how long this one's going to take? It's going to take four seconds max. All right. And it's going to take about a second and a half from you to go from the top to the bottom and all that stuff. I go, but you've been building this up so much that it's, it's this great giant feat and you've allowed fear to overcome you at this point. Um, and so you have all this built up energy and it's, it's it's causing paralysis. Okay. So we're going to get very, very technical at the, at the moment. And all I need you to do is just <laughs> expel all this pent up energy and everything. All right. So we're going to come back to this platform right over here. And, uh, I need you to do whatever I tell you to do. And I go, <laughs> and I go, I promise if you just listen to me and you do it, you'll be successful. And she goes, okay. She's like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I want you to start doing some push-ups. <laughs> just start doing some push-ups. Drop down, do some push-ups. Amber, join her. And, and everything. And, uh, you know, Amber's like right there doing push-ups. This girl's doing push-ups. Like, all right, get on your feet. Let's start doing some jumping jack. And then I start telling like a couple stupid jokes, like dad jokes, like stuff that is really corny, really stupid. All right. And it's getting them out of their head, getting out, getting them out of their mindset. And everything. I was like, all right. Then, and then I distract her. I'm like, all right, now go run, jump. And she's like, she went around over the edge and she like freaked out. And Trump's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's like, well, it's okay. All right, just start doing some more push-ups then. And she's like, what? I'm just like, I'm tired. Like, I don't care if you're tired or not. Just start doing some push-ups. You want to be successful, right? You want to you want to complete the obstacle? Fine, do some push-ups. Boom, boom, boom. All right, let's go do some high knees. Now let's do some jumping jacks. Now let's do some sit-ups. Now let's do some push-ups again. And I think, and, and she got out of her mind. I'm like, listen, I believe in you. All right, you want to be successful. All right, aren't you? Aren't you sick and tired of allowing fear to overcome your life? 
Like, don't you want to be the inspiration? Don't you want to be the person who, who faced that obstacle, faced that challenge and overcame it? Don't you want to be the leader of your life? Don't you want to be the champion? Don't you want to show all those people down there how amazing and incredible you are and they want to see you succeed? Don't you want to see you succeed? She's like, yes, I do. I'm going to jump off this thing. And she did. I know. So it's so crazy. Um, I've been on the receiving end of um, your motivation many, many times, but to be able to watch you take somebody who had been, you've never met this girl. And first of all, you get her to do pushups. Like I would never do pushups for somebody I've never met before. Like screw you. But no, um, to be able to know what the mind needs to be able to get somebody to jump off. So she jumps off and um, she was so happy that she had finished that race. And I know Yeah, she cried at the end. She did, yeah. And she was giving everybody after you forced me to jump, you jerk. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah. Let's finish this story for real. Okay. This girl jumps off this thing. All right. And we're like, oh my God. Like everyone, the crowd goes wild. All right. Like the Cubs just won the World <laughs> Series for the first time. Okay. So I'm like, awesome. And Amber's like, this is so great. You're the best, Corey. All right, I'll see you at the bottom. And she goes to turn around and start going down the damn ladder. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, uh, I'm going down. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We did not just come all the way for you to climb back down the ladder. If that girl went off the edge, so are you. So, um... It was amazing for me to jump. I was so glad I did it. Anybody who knows me knows that I am terrified of heights. And over the last two years, I've gotten a lot better at that. I no longer cry on the top of eight foot walls. But um, this was a huge like step for me. But I'll never forget Corey being like, "What are you, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going back down. He's like, not that way. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I bring this story up because... Um, number one, I want to highlight, and I've if I've said this already in the short time that this podcast has been going, and I will say it countless times in the future, but I want to highlight the way that physical fitness and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in a physical arena impacts your mental state throughout your entire life. And I think that's the reason that Tough Mudder has had such a big impact on my life and on the lives of most people who run it, because it is impossible for you to push yourself out of your comfort zone and believe in yourself and then not carry that on to the rest of your life. Yeah. But the other reason that I tell this story and the other reason that I want to highlight it is because I want to ask you when you realized that you had like the gift of inspiration, like when did you realize that you had the ability to inspire people to get the best out of themselves? Um, I've, I've always been a people person. I love people. And I think if you ask the majority of human beings, uh, what they want to do in life, I think the common answer that you're going to get is something where they they want to help people, all right? And some people are able to go uh, be doctors and help people that way. Others are uh, attorneys like yourself and that can help people in that fashion. Um, I do not have the intellectual capabilities <laughs> to or skills to be able to do those uh, those jobs. And I was fortunate enough um, that fitness really clicked. And it wasn't until later in life that I, I recognized that the benefit that I have over over a lot of people, because there's a, there's a lot of people that get into the fitness industry, uh, like straight out of college or something like they know that's the industry that they want to go into. I, I never had any clue that or honestly a desire. And, and it wasn't until I got out of campaigns and elections and I started working in that fit in the fitness industry that I recognized how great of a passion that I had for it. And it was specifically because I was helping people turn around their lives and all I was doing, all right, there was, there was no magic bullet or anything on it. It's just that I had gone through the exact same thing that they had just gone through. And I remembered it. And That's awesome. I, every single day, every single person that I talked to, I just put myself back in their shoes and, I genuinely remember what it was like after taking off all that time after getting out of the military and being a part of the couch potato brigade of just drinking and eating and celebrating and not doing nothing and being lazy and, and 
um, and how hard, challenging it is to take those first steps, how s scary it is, and the fear of not living up to who you used to be and the judgment of others, that, that is such a heavy weight that we apply to ourselves. And my main goal right now is to help everyone overlook all that and realize the opinions of others do not matter, right? Who you were, who you were before is still inside of you. And I'm going to help you find that person because I'm a very firm believer. And I, I, I tell this to everybody is that we all have a little demon and champion or angel inside of us. And that, and the problem is, is that that demon voice is extremely loud. And it's like, you're not strong enough. You're not capable. You're too tired. Everybody's watching. All right. And we listen to that. Like it's the end all be all voice. And because we give it, we feed it the attention. It becomes extremely powerful. Well, but there's two sides to that coin. And we have to remember that we also have that, that angel, that champion inside of us, but we've put it in a prison to feed the demon. And it's my job to break that champion out. All right. All I'm doing is helping you recognize your strength, your power, your potential. We're, we're in a, a massive generational shift when it comes to the definition of success. Um, we went from, you know, the industrial, well, not before the industrial time where it, it was your family. Were you able to support your family? That was the definition of success. And then we turned it and it changed into, so you get a job and you work there for oh so long. And then the job gives you this pension that supports you for the rest of your life. Then that became the definition of the success. And now we're seeing where people are, are going. I don't have to give someone 30 years of my life, the best years of my life, and then spend the rest of my life enjoying the, re the, the rewards of that, reaping the rewards of that. There's a balance. And, and once, you, once, we, once we get through to the realization that there's more than one path to success and it needs to be individually designed and by the, the person themselves, I think that's when the conversation can shift. I know with my sons, that was the, the biggest conversation I had with each of them was, you, it, it's, your, it's, it's your life. You need to make sure that the successes are ones that you wanted and that the failures are ones that you can learn from. My job is to be on the sideline and support you and let you know what I see based off of my experience, but define it yourself. Define what it's gonna mean for you to be successful so that at the end of the day, when you look back on it, good, bad, or ugly, one, you know it was your life and, and the hope that it, it was the best that you could, could have done with the time that you had here. Man, I love that so much. And honestly, that is um, the kind of birthplace of this entire podcast is the idea mm. of defining success for yourself and not necessarily being defined by whatever society defines success at in this point in time. I was just having a conversation with somebody um, yesterday and we were talking about millennials and um, the idea that for the most part, a lot of them are just misunderstood because of the generational gap in how we define success. And I think mm -hmm. that that's a huge, um, a huge thing that needs to be addressed um, so that we don't tear down millennials who are out there doing some amazing things. They're just doing them in non-traditional ways. Right. And that, that's where the, the passion for, you know, normalcy is for the weak. You know, anybody can, can, can get a job. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to go find a job. You can go flip burgers. You can take out the trash. You can be an assistant. Getting a job isn't the hard part. It's having a fulfilling life is where people are, are missing that, that mark, so to speak. And you're right. We, we come around, we have a whole new generation that's doing it differently. Like, why can't I travel the world and, and, do all of that while I'm in my 20s and 30s and then go develop something that's more concrete afterwards. I mean, it, there's no rule. There's no requirement that you have to do things in a certain order. The only thing, only order that's guaranteed is you're born and then you die. Everything so is, is really up to you. As, as our coach said, you know, life, it starts with an L, ends in an E, and it has that if in the middle. And it's all about what do you do with that if in the middle?
Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I'm like writing down all of your words of wisdom here. I feel like I'm getting the better end of this conversation. Um, so I'm, how old were you when you started your flyer, your busy bees? <laughs> um, I was like 10. Oh my gosh. I love it. And it was that summer. The summer I turned after I turned 10, my birthday's in February. So it was that summer. I used to go on up, up there in the summer. There was a little empty space with a vacant desk and I just commandeered it. I mean, who's gonna tell the boss's daughter no, right? So, I, <laughs> you know, I made my flyers. I walked around to the, the executives that I knew. And by the time I was 16, I had worked in so many different departments and served so many different levels of, of support for the, the record label that it was, you know, I really had a pretty, pretty stacked resume. <laughs> I like it. So have you always been on the entrepreneurial path or were there times that you were employed in the accounting field by bigger firms and you kind of learned from them that way? Or has it been something where it's just been a trial by error until you figure out what works for you? Kind of a trial by error. Um, I did work for people because that's what you're taught you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to go out and find this job and work there. Um, but I, I have an allergy. I'm allergic to bullshit, so I don't do very <laughs> in environments where, you know, it's the whole he says, she said, who's sleeping with who and what's going on. And oh my goodness, is this what I have to do every day? I just want to do the work. So I, I realized that I, I didn't, didn't like that environment. Also, once I got a hang of a process or a system, I was able to get it so well to where it didn't take as much time for me to do it. So my last full-time job um, the reason why I left is I, I took 40 hours of work and I was able to condense the processes to 20 hours. So I was basically getting paid to play free sale. And I was getting really, really good at that. But I also had a family and I figured, why should I spend these extra 20 hours here? when I could be spending it with my, my, my sons and my husband. I could be at home. And I realized, okay, so it's time to, to stop straddling the fence between launching my business full time and working full-time or part-time. It's just time to let it go. You know what they say when you straddle a fence, you get splinters in your crotch. So let's get off the fence and let's, let's do it. And so there was a, there was a push and pull and, and there's a constant learning that I get to experience right now on what I, who I get to become to, to have the business that I want and have the life that I want. And so there was a learning process, but it, it's always been in there at this this launching and, and, and my business, I think, has been trying to, to, to come out of me like my kids were, you know, it was a birthing experience that I've been going through. I, I, that it's been, it's been always in there. It was just waiting for me to realize it, recognize it, and then go grab it. That's amazing. And, you know, something that you said brings up a whole nother conversation of the way that businesses are run today and this idea that you need to be able to just put a body in a chair and that that means that somebody's being productive. Because the idea that you would work for 20 hours and still be asked to stay at the office for 40 instead of being able to go home with your family when all of your work was done is completely ludicrous, but it's the way that like 90% of business owners think. Right. They just want someone there. Someone's going to always be there. And this was when technology was really making a big change. Um, DSL, you know, the, the high speed internet was just making its, its, its pitch and coming into play. So I'm looking at my, my bosses and saying, hey, I, I don't need to be here during this whole time. My, my biggest work is during these particular hours, everything else I can do remotely. And it, it, it didn't get received very well because they did enjoy knowing that they had someone in the office all the time. And it, it's, it, you're right, it, it's, a, it's a shift from put the right person with the right technology and the right systems in place and the where they are probably won't be as big as, of, of an issue as are they doing what they're supposed to do. Absolutely. There was actually a really cool article that was released and I don't remember the name. I'll be happy to share it with you and I'll put it in the show notes for anybody who's listening. Um, but it was a um, business owner in Chicago and it came out maybe like one or two months ago. Um, and he embraced that idea that, you know, you have a job to do and I trust you to get that job done because I hired you. So I don't need to know where you are. I don't need to know what you're doing. I just need to know that you're doing what you need to do for my company. And the idea that your work should not be your life um, was completely liberating to be able to see a business owner express for their employees. Yeah. 
it's it's what it's all about. I mean, there's there's a living to be made as you're as you're making a living. There's still a life to be lived. One hundred percent. It's got to all come together. There to get up every day and not even love, even like what it is that you do is ludicrous to me. I don't understand that when I look at people and go, so you're going to just stay there. You're going to stay in this place that is literally draining you because if you're not growing, you're dying. There is no middle ground. There is no such thing as the status quo when it comes to life. Either you're growing or you're dying. And if you're staying somewhere where you are literally dying, then that is not life. That cannot be life. It can't be. It just, I refuse to accept that as being the definition. I love it. So you've talked a little bit about success and I've, really loved what you've had to say about it, but I'm interested to know how you personally define success and whether that definition has changed for you throughout your life. My definition of success, I realize, has been pretty consistent all my life. I didn't grow up with if we could do things. It was always a question of when was the best time to do it. Um, So my definition of success has always been, are the needs met? Are the needs met? Is there a roof over our head, food on our plates, clothes on our backs? Are those met without there having to sacrifice anything else? And then is there all the things that we want to do, the, the wants, if those are being met, are we, if we're not sacrificing the needs, then that's all that matters. So for my thing is, is I get up every day, I get to do this thing that I love to do. I love working with my business clients. I love, love the work that I do. You've talked a little bit about success and I've really loved what you've had to say about it, but I'm interested to know how you personally define success and whether that definition has changed for you throughout your life. My definition of success, I realize, has been pretty consistent all my life. I didn't grow up with if we could do things. It was always a question of when was the best time to do it. Um, so my definition of success has always been, are the needs met? Are the needs met? Is there a roof over our head, food on our plates, clothes on our backs? Are those met without there having to sacrifice anything else? And then is there all the things that we want to do, the, the wants, if those are being met, are we, if we're not sacrificing the needs, then that's all that matters. So for my thing is, is I get up every day, I get to do this thing that I love to do. I love working with my business clients. I love, love the work that I do. I get to do that. And that gets to give me the capability of one, meeting all of my needs. And then I get to also get, get quite a few nice, you know, nice wants that get sprinkled in there as well. So it's about every day, do you get up and enjoy the time that you have. And at the end of the day, no matter how tired or exhausted or even a little frustrated you are, because we all have those clients that are just like, are you serious? (laughs) But if at the end of the day you go, wow, good day. Let's do it again tomorrow. That's That's amazing. Success. So have your kids inherited your entrepreneurial spirit? A bit. It, It turns out that they have always had, you know, some kind of little side hustle thing going my my son uh, all of my kids i have three sons i also have five nephews they all played sports so they had had this little something some way of, of creating some extra money whether it be training other kids other players um my my son used to to sell uh some supplements for before the game so it was you know there was always some sort of little side thing going on that they all kind of picked up and it's so great because i get to hear them all talk about you know, what they, the, the businesses that they want to launch, you know, in these next stages of their life. So it's, it's, I guess it's been ingrained and it's been so awesome to see it unfold. And especially at the, the ages that they're at, my uh, youngest is nine, he'll be 19 this year. So just to know that they've been doing this for at least the last six years or so, having some sort of entrepreneurial thing. That's what, that's what they've seen from me in their conscious years. They've seen me work and have my own business. And to know that that became a part of their um, their development, the molding of who they are is so awesome. So awesome. That's amazing. So um, one of the things that always interests me is the fact that um, everybody has their own idea of success. And 
a lot of times they project that idea of success onto other people, which is where the societal definition of success comes from. Mm-hmm. But has there ever been a time where you've been working towards your definition of success, but you've appeared successful to somebody else um, and you've just been completely unfulfilled and um, people kept telling you how successful you were and you just felt like you weren't living your best life. Have you ever experienced that personally? Oddly enough, it is. At first when I thought about it, I was like, I don't know. That's, that's a weird, weird one. But I have to say it was, it was before, it was um, when I was working my last full-time job. Um, my husband, we had just bought our house about a year or so before and uh, we were still commuting to, to Los Angeles. We live in the outskirts and suburbs of LA in San Bernardino County. And we were still commuting. My husband had lost his job and my full-time job was covering everything, which by the definition of life is success, right? I'm able to, I have a job, I was able to support my family fully. Everyone's looking at me saying, wow, good job. I had negotiated a raise with my, my company because I was like, I can't do this anymore, but I negotiated a raise. They offered to pay for, they were also paying for our health insurance. So by definition, that was success. And I hated it. I hated it. I did not feel successful. I did not feel fulfilled. I did not love what was going on in my life every day. And I had just gotten Tony Robbins Get the Edge program where he defined growth and death. If you're not growing, then you're dying. And while everyone was looking at me saying, congratulations, congratulations, I felt like it was just a slap in the face of what I knew I was, I was put on this earth for. You know, the reason that I ask that question is because it's something that I personally struggled with. And I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with and they think they're alone. And so I think it's interesting when even the most successful people that I talk to who are living what they consider to be their best life, that there's normally been a time in their life where they have not been living that best life and they kind of needed that push to, to do that. And I find that for me personally, and then some of the stories that I've heard, that it is normally somebody telling you you're successful and you feeling so disgusted when they say that, that is your push to do something better with your life. Yeah. And that, that was it. It was, oh my God, is this really going to be me for how long? Oh my goodness. I can't. No, 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 no. This is not success. This is not success. And it was, it was the catalyst that got me to change my my perspective and focus on taking this gift i think that i really truly believe that what i do is my purpose here on this earth it's it's, it's what i my gift it's it's my thing it's not my role as a wife or mother or as anything else it is really a part of who i am and the moment that i said i am going to be me i am going to live my purpose was the biggest change that ever took place in in my development I woke up one morning with a very significant headache and a high temperature, and it got worse and worse and worse throughout the day. And my wife at the time took me to the emergency room, and they checked me out and said, oh, you got a sinus infection, and sent me home with some antibiotics and said, have a good day, basically. So, so it I, was, um, <laughs> it, was it normal for you to um, experience these, or was it? No, no. In some of the best shape I'd ever been in, I had just, you know, I ran a couple races that year and was starting a training business and went through the whole P90X and P90X Extreme. And, you know, I was fitting 40 something, 45-ish or whatever at the time, and was excited about where I was headed, you know, with a, a new career option and, and, and athletically too, and felt great about myself. And then, so it was really rare for me to have a headache, let alone even a sniffle for that matter. And so it, it became a concern and, and they sent me home and thinking I had a sinus infection and the next couple of days got a little weird and the fever didn't go away and the antibiotics didn't help. And I started kind of seeing things and <laughs> three days later, my wife took me back in and they did some more testing and realized that it was more serious. And I found out that I had had what's called viral encephalitis which was basically the herpes virus that most of us have. If we've ever had a cold sore, you've got the herpes virus, you know, and or shingles or something like that. And for whatever reason, it had got on a nerve and traveled to my brain and had been 
kind of eating away at my brain for a few days. So at that point, they basically just said, this is serious. It has a very high fatality rate, and we don't expect you to make it through the next two or three days, to be honest. And if you do wake up, you'll probably most likely be a vegetable. That's kind of how they worded it to my wife. That's it. So, uh, so yeah, it just, just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> so, like, just to make sure that this kind of gets through, like, you found out that you had um, a virus that they described as, like, eating your brain. And it... Correct. It took, almost took your life, but it took a, a ton of memories, correct? Yeah. What it, what it did, it, it, it ended up kind of eating away most of what's called my right hippocampus. And by the time they had caught it, and like I said three days earlier, if they had maybe got me on antiviral medications instead of antibiotics, they may have saved a little bit of what was kind of chewed up a little bit. But it did steal what they have determined to be most of my, I guess, long-term memory. Um, it, you know, it's hard to identify for sure. I, I didn't, when I woke up that three days later in the hospital, when they said that I might not, I didn't know my wife. I didn't know my son. I didn't know who I was for that matter. And I, so I had lost all my most recent memory for sure. Um, and they've kind of determined through some neuropsychology since then that, you know, I have some early childhood memories, you know, that pop up every now and then I can sing songs from the 80s, like nobody's business, <laughs> things like that, that, you know, places in your brain that maybe didn't get affected that store information. But it did steal, I, I, you know, I didn't know where I grew up. I didn't know my mom and dad. I didn't know certain things about my life that I had to relearn overnight. So yeah, it's been kind of weird to wake up in a brand new world and be 40 something and not know the people around you. That's insane. And so you, you go into the hospital, they tell you, oh, don't worry, it's just a sinus infection. You go home thinking everything's okay. Turns yeah. out it's not. You not okay, yeah. Morning, or you wake up three days later not knowing yeah. who you are, who your wife is, and that's awful enough, but that's not the end of your story. What happens next? Well, <laughs> kind of wacky, I'll be honest. Um, I, because of the recovery efforts at that point, I was on some very heavy uh, anti-seizure drugs because they were concerned that the virus had, may cause some other serious brain damage or, or just, you know, once your brain's infected, it kind of can cause other types of issues like seizures. So they had me on very heavy mind-altering drugs as well as some steroids that, to help repair the brain matter. And pretty much tied to an IV daily and sitting on a couch or bed or wherever in my home. So all of a sudden, I go from being in the best shape of my life running races and being a trainer to being tied to a couch filled with steroids and mind-altering drugs, I'll be honest. And that was for three long months. And I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of memories about it. Um, but, uh, that's how I spent the next three months from, I guess, May till August of that same year. Wow. During that time. Yeah. It, it, I, like I said, I don't remember a ton about it. I can see things on Facebook that I was chit chatting about with people and I was in a wacky land. I'll be honest. Cause I, the, the drugs that they had me on were changing even who I was at the time, but it made me want to eat everything in sight like steroids do. And. And I gained 50 pounds sitting on the couch and just, I don't know, I wasn't who the, I wasn't the man that I was, you know, a few weeks earlier <laughs> by any means. Did you remember know, that? Like, did you, was there a part of you that said where you just felt like you were in somebody else's body or did you have no idea who you were? Well, at this time, no, I'll be honest. Um, there was things that I could you know, would be told or stories that I would hear or my folks would come out to visit. You know, I had lots of friends and family involved at the time that were, you know, trying to fill in some of the gaps for me or at least be there for me. I see people on Facebook and people from high school and grade school that were still, <laughs> you know, friends of mine that I was still getting to know again for the first time. So, yeah, I, and to be honest, getting to know my own wife and children and myself as well. So I don't know if I really knew who I was, but I was getting images of them and hearing stories about that person and obviously was 
wanted to be that guy. <laughs> of course. Because yeah. everybody seemed to like that guy and <laughs> we're thank, uh, thankful that he was still around, but maybe even if it was in a different state of mind, you know. And uh, so I don't remember a ton of that time period, I'll be honest. I still struggle with some short-term memory issues, but that specific time as well, because the, the, the drugs they had me on were just made me live in a different world for a while. And uh, so I spent that time, you know, like I said, on the couch, eating everything in sight and trying to get to know me. And then one day I wake up with a shooting pain down my leg in August of 2014, actually be coming up next week would be the anniversary of that five years. Oh, wow. Um, and just kind of woke up and said, wow, that didn't feel right. And went upstairs and told my wife, cause I slept on the couch downstairs tied to the IV and, uh, said something's wrong so she looks down at my leg and it's black and blue and purple and says yeah that doesn't look right and dragged me off to the ER again and sure enough we get there and they do some x-rays and all of a sudden they look at my chest and it's black and purple too and realize that my chest and both lungs are full of blood and that I'd had a massive pulmonary embolism um, at the same it was going on and had shot up from my leg into my heart and, and lungs. So come to find out much later that it was due to the inactivity and the steroids and all the, you know, sitting on the couch all day, uh, that inactivity created some other issues and, and, uh, and the, the, the drugs and steroids as well. And like, like many times, you know, what one drug's supposed to do and create or cure, it creates other issues as well. And sure. it did that for me that day and nearly took my life again. We, somehow got me to the ER in time and they did uh, what's called angiovax surgery and sucked out all the blood out of my lungs and heart and you name it and somehow made it through what they described as a fatal event. So, Well, and that's insane because we yeah. think about people <laughs> dying from pulmonary embolisms all the time and it's yeah. instant. It's not like they even really have a chance to get to the hospital. Well, he, he looked at me that day and said, this is a fatal event and couldn't believe I'd even walked in the door. Uh, he said it was the largest blood clot he'd ever seen and didn't have a clue how I'd walked in. And, and, you know, later, you know, I can look back on that now and realize that, you know, prior to that first virus hitting me, I was in the best shape of my life at 40, whatever years old. And that strong heart probably is what saved me and uh thankful for that and uh but uh the fact that i was on a couch for three months not doing anything is what nearly took my life a second time that's insane so you um now in the span of two months have we're going to use the word cheated death twice um and that's still not the end of your story why don't you tell everybody what yeah <laughs> well from there yeah it's kind of weird to, to say but that's kind of where it all kind of started for me at that point and because again everything was brand new to me and uh, the learning curve began um i i obviously i was in the icu for for nearly um i don't know it was a month and a half maybe two after the embolism and allowed to come back home and try to figure out what the heck was going on so this was uh you know september october of somewhere of 2014 and I was still in a world that I wasn't aware of, you know, or getting to know the people around me on a daily basis, let alone, you know, who I was personally. So, uh, I don't know. I spent that year, my family got involved and came to visit and, you know, and, and told me stories. I did lots of research, looked at lots of Facebook pictures and memories and tried to figure out who the heck I was. This podcast is is born out of this idea that um, we need to define our own idea of success and you need to be authentic about who you are and sure. what you want so that you can go out and live your best life. And we use that phrase all the time that I need to figure out who I am, but nobody really means it literally except for <laughs> you um, to be able to well, say, <laughs> I literally had to figure out who I was because I didn't know. To me, that yeah, yeah. on a whole new meaning when you say it. Well, I, I get that. And even as I thought about that, that questioning and, and this week a little bit, it, you know, you can't help but think about we know who we are, not only based on our 
you know, how we were raised and our experiences growing up and the things that we go through on a daily basis, good and bad, and we learn from on a daily basis. And yeah, it's weird to all of a sudden <laughs> not have those experiences to draw upon. And, and you can only define, I guess, who you are based on not only what you do daily, but, you know, you can't help but, you know, look back and try to grab a hold of um, the stories and the things that you've heard other people share. I'll be honest, there's some things that I don't know if they're a memory or just something that people have shared with me since uh, all this happened. And I, it's hard to decipher between the two. And also, you know, some people will tell you you were one way when maybe you weren't. And <laughs> it's hard. You got to kind of just it's hard to figure out when you don't have those own personal experiences to draw upon. And uh, so you, at that point, you you tend to have to learn to let go of some of that too and define who you are today and, and realize that that's even more important um, and, and let some of the past go to a certain extent. And, you know, and I spent most of those first years trying to be, you know, who I was. And once I kind of felt like, okay, I got a taste of that guy, then let's see who did he want to be, <laughs> you right. know, versus who he was. And, and it became more of uh, who I was at that point and, and what did I still feel I had left in me to create? Because how many, I mean, think about how many people get a real do-over, <laughs> you know, right. I and mean, we've all kind of thought that in our life at one point, how we can, you know, look back and think about mistakes we made and things we said or did that we weren't proud of or whatever. And, hey, I wish I could take that back and start over again. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I got a chance to do that. I mean, not, in, you know, I've had to look at it in that way. There's plenty of things that I could look back and, and be whiny about and say, you know, that that wasn't fair or I wish I, that didn't happen to me. But at the same time, I got a chance to, you know, define who I believe I am today based on what I've, you know, experienced and learned over the last five years. And uh, not a lot of people get a chance to do that. And I've had to look at it in a more positive way of what I define what success is to me now versus probably what that guy did back in 2014. <laughs> You've run multiple races with um, some sort of ailment, whether crutches I or have. sling. I or have. Things to that effect. So you yep. get yep. your hip replaced and then um, explain kind of what continues to happen with your body as time goes on. You bet. You bet. That that year I went on and, and, and kind of finished I, that few weeks later after the fire jump obstacle issue, I went and ran the beast in Montana on crutches as well and got my redemption. <laughs> Actually, it's still my my still my favorite fire jump obstacle because I'm way over the fire with both crutches in hand and and got my redemption and everybody was watching you know and because I it created quite a stir on Facebook that I was that guy on crutches on fire, but um, so it that's where I actually you know my goal in sixteen was to earn a trifecta. Well, my it became my goal in seventeen to earn what I call my crutchfecta. Okay. So I actually did all, I did all three races on crutches and, and that's, I consider that my most uh, challenging one or whatever, but um, I'm thankful. I, when you tell <laughs> me that you can't go out and run a Tough Mudder or you can't go out and run a Spartan, I want you to remember that this individual <laughs> here is telling us that he just ran a half a marathon at what, a 10 <laughs> mile and a, a three mile on crutches. Yeah, so you, you did. Go out and do your I did. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest, there's a couple of things that, you know, obviously I couldn't carry the bucket up a mountain with my both hands on crutches. So I had to drop and do my 30 burpees and then climb up the mountain on crutches. So, you know, some things you do have to going back to adapting yeah. and, you know, and staying in motion. I, I was just happy to be out there in a supportive environment that got some in and people would help me over a wall or whatever it might be, or hold my crutches while I jumped to monkey bars or something. But um, so, and that's where you go as much as anything as you get to do it with 
you know, people that are in a supportive community and environment. So keep that in mind too. It's not always about how fast you're doing it. It's just about doing it anyway and doing it that, you know, it's good for the, the heart and mind as it is for the body. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. So I went on that year and as I did the next couple races, I didn't need the crutches anymore. I could walk and even jog or skip a little bit on that new hip. Okay. To be honest, what, what part of this story doesn't say is going back to that 365 days in a row mentality. I approached my recovery that way too. Um, okay. and have the, have the journals to prove I, I did four rounds of physical therapy every single morning with that new hip. Wow. And, you know, my doctor and nurses taught me exactly how to do that. And I added a few other pieces in there too. So part of my recovery was, you know, two hours in the gym every morning doing four rounds of physical therapy too. So it wasn't that I was out there on crutches, just willy nilly. I was putting in the work that helped me recover quicker than most people would have ever probably recovered. Uh, my doctor wasn't a fan of it at first, I'll be honest. He, he was, he, he, I had to go see him shortly after I fell on the fire as a follow-up and he saw the burns on my leg and kind of inquired about it and wasn't a fan. Yeah, but then he saw me go off and, and undo Montana shortly thereafter. And I had another follow-up later that year. And he saw pictures of me jumping that fire on that new hip. And he goes, you, that's you? And I'm like, yeah. So you can actually walk in my doctor's office now and there's Spartan pictures of me up in his office. And he says I'm good for his business. That's so, amazing. <laughs> I know. It's kind of funny to walk in there now and see two fire jump pictures up on his wall. But my, my point to that was it, it didn't, I wasn't just doing it without appropriate work on the backside that people don't see on a daily basis. I, you know, still had that do it anyway mentality when I wake up every morning and put in the, you know, the work that it got me out on a race course sooner than most people would have been there. And so uh, I was able to run a couple races that summer off the crutches and on that new hip and jog a little after being told, actually, my, my doctor, my ortho's last words to me when I left the hospital with that new hip in February was no running ever was his last words. So clearly that's, uh, that pushed me as well. <laughs> of course, of course. But, but uh, yeah, I was like, oh, really? Uh, but anyways, so I went on to, to run a couple races and felt pretty good about them. And then all of a sudden the right shoulder starts feeling the same as, or sorry, the left shoulder started feeling the same as the right hip. And sure enough, I go back that later that year in October or September, whatever year it was or month it was and say, doc, uh, another MRI. And sure enough, it was about 80% gone to like the hip. It's more wow. of that same avascular necrosis. So it's something I'll live with. It's, those steroids created that and I have bone degeneration that will continue, I've been told. But I had to get my left shoulder replaced in 2017 as well in November after, after running all those races and one of them in a sling. Wow. <laughs> Last year, they had the very first Spartan para race ever. It was here in Laughlin, Nevada in November. And I got to run that race with a coach's mentality with four gentlemen called Team Synergy that had only three real legs between them. Wow. Uh, they all, well, he was a double amputee, Casey was, and the other three had their own single prosthetics. And they wow. ran that entire race together and finished. And, and, and it was neat to see a whole race dedicated to a team of para-athletes. Some were, had other, you know, types of disabilities, whether it was legs, arms, or, you know, mental issues with, uh, you name it. So I'm proud of a sport for promoting that. And as a disabled Spartan coach now, technically speaking, I get to support that community and, and got, I'm proud to be a part of that and, and the uplifting nature of the sport itself. And he got to see and meet Casey in groups like that as well here in Vegas. And I think it made him understand this is way more than just running through mud 
every day, oh, you know. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, my family goes through yeah. the same thing. Like, they, why do you keep going back? Why do you keep doing this? Yeah. You know, it hasn't been as big a part of my life as I would like it to be over the last few years, or I, I guess sure, sure. Year as I've started my business. But 2017, sure. I did 15 Tough Mudders and then ran Worlds, which is the 24-hour obstacle yeah, course race. which is, yeah, crazy. <laughs> and, you know, but my mom, so when awesome. she was pitting for Worlds, she kept asking me, like, why do you keep going out there? Why do you keep doing it? And it's that sense right. of community and it's that sense of accomplishment and yeah. you know, that yeah. that seeing people, no matter what your circumstances are, obviously there are, you know, out of everybody that's out on the course, there's going to be people who have worse circumstances than you and people sure, who have sure. circumstances. But yet they you all come it. together and you find inspiration by looking at yeah. somebody and saying, um, I look at if they can do it, so can I. But then when people yeah. come you and say thank you because you're inspiring to me, right. that pushes again. And it, I, I can't explain what that community is like. It's just something yeah. you have to be a part of to understand. You do. You have to see it and feel it. And 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 I'll be honest, that's what kept me going back when it clearly didn't make sense on crutches or in a sling or whatever. You know, it. And and people close to you sometimes don't understand it because they don't get to see that. But you're, you're right. It's it's nothing more rewarding to have somebody come up on to the race course. And I'll be honest, one of my biggest obstacles still is I, I still deal with some short-term memory issues. And people come up to me on the race course all the time, give me a big hug. Damn, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for doing that or saying that or, you know, you're such an inspiration or whatever it might be. And I'll have to say, remind me your name and where did we cross paths and and I get to hear this wonderful story of how maybe I've touched their life in some positive way. And you're like, wow, thank you for sharing that with me because that keeps me going just as much as anything else is knowing that something that I've done to overcome the obstacles in my life might have helped you as well. And, and I think people miss that unless they're out there and get to visualize it and see it and hear it. But uh, I was thankful that. Yeah, I was thankful that Connor got to see that. And I think my, you know, my family, you know, have, have got to read and, and hear about that a little bit and go, okay, now we get this. And, and why this is such a, I, I kind of call it my new church, I'll be honest, on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and we tend to go to church sometimes with, to be surrounded by like-minded people and, and be uplifted by them. And we can do that and on a race course, too and encourage others to live healthy, active lifestyles and, and be a better them in that community as well. And I'm proud of the sport for promoting that and, and happy to be a part of it. And, and I hope it continues to grow and people get more involved as it, as it does. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.